You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer Alex Diaz and our production assistant Daniel Trussini, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning. Who's who's in? The, is Alex in the booth there with you, or is Daniel in the booth there? Yes, with you? I, Daniel's oh, with I see me. Okay, <laughs> Daniel's with me, as you can see. Yes, we're across the, across the glass, waving to you across the way. How are you guys yeah, doing? So right now, D- Daniel's monitoring the levels, and I'm behind the microphone uh, here. Uh, so, okay, okay, so, so no it's Daniel complete, today. Complete teamwork today. Okay. As as always. Well, I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see. It doesn't help that the, that the room is has no light right now. No, but, I can't, uh, all I can see is a red hat popping uh, up there. That's our famous Raptors team. Aye, yeah. Yeah, the goodness. So. The good, the good, the good. It's all yeah. about the good with the Raptors. Exactly. Um, today's show is taped, so unfortunately no opportunity for call-in. But please do follow us on all our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC. And please do email us at thh at radiomaria.ca with all your questions, comments, concerns, if you want any further information on any of our shows or any of our guests. we love to hear from you. And as you know, all of our shows, live or taped, are flipped over into a podcast form. We are the Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your uh, favorite podcast platforms. You can also find us on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Um, I, I'm not sure when this is going to be played out, so I, I won't even tell you what shows are up there right now. So, But please uh, do take a listen. We have such amazing guests and uh for, for you to uh, listen and comment, I think, first of all, you're going to learn so much. And uh, your comments and, and positive feedback really help to promote uh, not only our show, but the, the amazing guests who have taken such great time out of their schedule to help us. Right, Alex? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, we do a great thing here. I really feel so blessed to be a part of, of this show. Now, we have um, a, a great guest today, Anne-Louise Gittleman. But before I get on to talking to her, I just want to do a short blurb um, about the importance of understanding your resting insulin level. So it's resting, fasting insulin level. Insulin is a hormone, and it is uh, made and secreted by the pancreas. It does many things, including uh, the regulation of fats, proteins, and carbohydrate metabolism. It helps cells to absorb glucose from the bloodstream, and it helps to regulate the levels of glucose in the bloodstream. The insulin helps to remove glucose from the blood and put it into fat tissues and cells where it can be stored for energy. So a very important function. Um, many of us are familiar with the tests uh, for fasting blood sugar, but um, the, the testing for uh, fasting insulin levels 
is also a very, very important test. The production of insulin is stimulated by eating. And when all is running tickety-boo in our system, insulin rises when we consume food, does its job, and then goes back to its resting level. It is important to note that our bodies always need some circulating uh, insulin, even when we're not consuming and eating food. But when food hasn't been consumed for an extended period of time, this is called the resting level of your insulin. It's called the fasting uh, insulin level, when you haven't eaten for a long time. So you can get blood tests done for blood sugar, and it's a fasting blood sugar test. You can also get a blood test done for your fasting insulin level. If our bodies stop responding to insulin, in many, many cases, it's due to poor diet and, and um, you know, poor lifestyle choices, it can lead to a condition called insulin resistance. In the earlier stage of insulin resistance, the pancreas will notch up uh, the production of insulin to keep glucose levels normal. So if your fasting glucose levels are checked within this paradigm, they may come back with a good reading. Everything may look uh, just, just fine. However, you may not be getting an accurate picture of what is truly going on because while your blood sugar level may be within normal range, it could be due to your body compensating for blood sugar issues by elevating your insulin levels. So what I want to express to you is that elevated fasting insulin levels have been, has been associated with many, many diseases. Um, I'm just going to run off a couple of them here. Obesity type 2 diabetes, cancer, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, migraine headaches, and increased risk of heart attack. So testing your resting insulin levels, especially if you suspect that you do have a blood sugar issue, could be a very important marker for you. And it's not really a very well-known or administered test. So I wanted to put that out there uh, to you so that you have that again, another tool in your tool chest of health things, natural ways to sort of, or everyday ways that you can really help to uh, maintain a healthy insulin level include a healthy diet. Obviously I'm going to that piece, right? It's a healthy diet, avoiding uh, processed foods, avoiding simple carbohydrates, eating a plant-based well-rounded, well-rotated food will really go a long way to help keep your insulin level balanced. Regular exercise. It's been shown time and time again in studies that regular exercise helps to balance your insulin levels. And finally, uh, the intake of fiber. We're looking for 30 to 40 grams of fiber a day. We've said that many times. It is a high level. It's a high bar, but uh, aim for it. And as I've suggested before, take a day, write down what you eat, check out on the computer how much fiber is in what you're eating, and it'll really give you an indication if you are uh, close to where you should be. So, I wanted to bring that point up to you. I think it's very important. So hopefully uh, you can take that in and and use it uh, use it for your own health. But on to today's show. I'm very much looking forward to this show. Our guest is Dr. Anne Louise Gittleman. She has been on the front lines of health for more than 30 years. As an award-winning author of 30-plus books, Anne Louise revolutionized weight loss in her New York Times bestseller, the Fat Flush Plan, and is rewriting the rules of nutrition once again in radical metabolism. This revolutionary program can resolve a multitude of health and metabolic issues. 
Radical Metabolism is a total health recovery book that addresses issues such as gallbladder insufficiency, low thyroid, autoimmunity, and toxicity, all common factors associated with a sluggish or over-40 metabolism at any age. With more than 50 sumptuous recipes, the book introduces a breakthrough four-day cleanse and 21-day reboot sure to reignite fat loss and life-changing wellness. Anne Louise has been a trendsetter in the area of menopause, hazards of EMFs, and environmental assaults from parasites, heavy metals, and GMOs. She was recognized as one of the top 10 nutritionists in the country by Self Magazine and was granted the American Medical Writers Association Award for Excellence and the Humanitarian Award from the Cancer Control Society. A wonderful, wonderful woman. I've spoken to her with so much information. You do not want to miss this show. Through this uh, piece, we're going to focus a little bit on fats. We haven't touched upon that in the show. So our learning points are going to be centered around that. Are fats an important part of a healthy diet? Understanding the omegas, 3, 6, 7, 9, even 12, do we need them all? What are they for? And saturated fats, are they our friend or are they our foe? So when we return, we will be talking to Anne-Louise Gittleman.
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Again, today's show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. But do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at The Health Hub RMC. Good morning, Dr. Gittleman. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning to you, Kathy. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I, I do appreciate the time. You're such a very busy lady. Um, you uh, inspire me with your work. I have been, I'm a very much a newbie in the field compared to you. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really interested how over the 30 years that you've been in the nutrition field, how your perception of nutrition has evolved and if you've made any real left turns from what you thought was right. Well, that is a very telling question. I would say that I had the privilege of studying with some wonderful masters in the early years. And these were masters that taught me that fat was the most important nutrient in the diet, but it had to be the right fats and that sugar was the enemy. And that basic creed has set me on a path over these 30-plus years to understand that not all fats are created equal, that sugar really is the culprit of so many diseases in modern-day epidemics, and that we need to clean up the diet and insert more of the omega fats into the program, leave the saturated fats alone, and whatever we do, we need to get rid of the excess sugar, which is creating problems not just with obesity and diabetes, but also with problems with the liver. So I would say that I had the opportunity early on to study with masters and that particular, those particular ideas that I learned so many years ago still held me, still hold me in good stead even today. Well, at some point in that uh, period of time, you must have been, you know, swimming against the tide because fats were the enemy for such a long period of time. And we're just now, you know, that's, that's the importance of this show. We're just now, you know, getting our minds back around to the importance of fat. Was there a difficult period of time for you in there? Oh, considerably. I mean, I was, uh, I could have been burned on the stake. I was the nutritionist that was the nutritional heretic. Most definitely, and this was in the early 80s, I was the nutrition director at the Pritikin Longevity Center, Kathy, which was the model of the no-to-low-fat, high-complex carbohydrate program that took over North America in the early 80s up to the early 90s. And so when I started uncovering and discovering that fat was our friend, not our foe, and it was really sugar and too many carbohydrates, you can imagine what the mainstream media did with all that. So I would say that I've been on the cutting edge for a very long time, but what I promoted back then, way back in the 80s with my first book, Beyond Pritikin, again, still holds true today. The only real left turn that I took, you know, I'm thinking again of your question, was that in those early days, I thought coffee was one of our enemies. And I've since learned that the right kind of coffee, organic, mold, and pesticide-free, is actually very healing for blood sugar as well as for the liver, pancreas, and any other issue that could be concerning you in terms of energy. So I'd say it's, it's my left turn with regard to coffee that really has changed my writings. And we're still seeing studies coming out about how bad coffee is for you. Uh, you know, it, it, it harkens to me, you know, when you talked about the, the high carbohydrate diet and the low fat diet, we swing this pendulum back and forth and back and forth. And now with the importance of fat coming to light, 
we've swung it again completely in the other direction where diets, many fad diets, I, I, you know, I quote that fad diets, um, are again honing in on a nutrient and this time it's fat. So is, is, are these diets and, and let's name it the ketogenic diet. Are these diets in your framework of what you consider healthy eating? Well, that is another very loaded question, and I would say that they're going in the right direction. We want to get into a fat-burning metabolism, not sugar-burning. Fat is so important for the brain, for the heart, for the joints, for your skin, your hair, your nails. But the source of fat and the amount of percentage of fat in a typical ketogenic diet is one that I cannot support long-term. Short-term, it may be healthy for weight loss and diabetic control, as well as for those that have any kind of seizures. But long-term, there are no studies suggesting it is the healthy way to go. So if we're looking at a healthy diet, we want about 40% fat, 30% carbohydrates, and 30% protein, not the 70% fat that is so popular in the ketogenic diet world today. And when you're talking 40% fat, you're talking 40% of total calorie fat. Yes, indeed. I'm still a believer in the concept of 40-30-30, which has been a theme of all of my books, including the new one, Radical Metabolism. But it's the type of fats that I also take issue with. You know, there are fats today that are very much in the forefront, Kathy. I'm talking about the saturated plant fats like your MCT oils, your avocado oils, as well as your coconut oils. And while those are completely healthy, they are not a tremendously good source of the essential fatty acids that are absolutely critical to the functioning of the cell, the organ, and the tissues on an atomic level. So I'm a believer in getting more of the good threes and sixes and nines and sevens into your diet. So I say bring on the omegas for complete health, body, mind, and spirit. So again, when we're talking about these diets, we're talking about healthy fats, um, saturated fat. Now, again, we, we never seem to swing, you know, gently toward the middle. It's always far left or far right, where saturated fats is now uh, not the culprit in heart disease. It's not the culprit for, for disease. We, we should be eating saturated fats. And then, like, like anything else, money is made on a particular idea. It leaves people very... Um, <laughs> It gives them ideas that are, they jump on the bandwagon. It's confusing to people. When people come to me, especially, you know, when cancer patients come in and they're talking about these high-fat diets and that saturated fat should be included in the diets, will, will you go back to research? Will you go back and pull out the science? Because I think that that's, you know, when you jump on the Internet, that seems to be what's missing when people are getting information is the science. Yeah, well, there's quite a lot of science. Now, in terms of the, the, the high-fat diets that are saturated fats, what we've learned from many meta-analysis and studies over the past 20 to 30 years is that saturated fats are, are neutral. They're not pro, they're not con when it comes to elevating blood sugar and um, healing diabetes. They're very, very neutral. And, but there are many of us that have genetic issues where we cannot metabolize saturated fats. So going on a program with high butter, cream, bacon, eggs, and so on and so forth may not be ideal. 
that's where the essential fatty acids come into play, which have been around for ages. And I think that a diet that includes the good omega-6s that stabilize the cell membrane are very important foods for your mitochondria, those little cell energy plants that each of us have for burning fats as well as uh, healing your metabolism are really quite critical. So again, it's the essential fats that your body needs from foods that you cannot make on its own that are so important for overall health. And that's why I'm a believer that hemp seed oil, for example, which is now very, very popular in health food stores, is a wonderful source of fat-burning nutrition and very healing for the cell membrane, good for the skin, hair, and nails, and will get rid of eczema in about two weeks. So I'm a believer in bringing back these plant fats that are not heavy-duty and toxic that everybody can metabolize and do not produce a lot of toxicity or undue stress on the liver. And if you do not have a gallbladder, then you cannot have a high-fat diet because you're not breaking it down in any, by any means. So there are many different issues that really come into play here when we talk about high-fat. Yes, higher fat is the way to go, but you can't take this to the extreme that's so popular today. Uh, perfect. Agreed. Let's, uh, let's take a step back. I don't want to presume that everybody understands what an essential fatty acid is, so can you explain that? The essential fatty acids, Kathy, are just that. They're absolutely essential to the metabolism and to the well-being of the, of the body. And they're essential because you do not produce these fats on your own. You must take them in foods, foods like seeds and nuts and other types of vegetable oils. So you want an unaltered, unheated uh, oil that you can take into your system on a daily basis that will provide you with good omega-6s and good omega-3s. The good omega-6s might include the hemp seed oil, safflower oil, pine nut oil, so healthy for the digestion, as well as walnuts and sunflower seeds. The good omega-3s are coming from your flax, are coming from your perilla oils, as well as your fish and krill. Those are exceedingly important. And now we have the new kit on the block, which is the omega-7s, that you're getting from foods like macadamia nuts as well as anchovies. So all of the omegas are completely essential for human nutrition. Your body can't exist without them. So you must be eating food sources that will provide this for the cell membrane and the healthy metabolism. What do you think about supplementing with these oils? Because um, in food, you're getting a balance. Uh, when you're supplementing, and, you know, the go-to now is supplementing with the omega-3s. W- what do you think of the supplementation of, of the, the EFAs? I think for many people that's very healthy because they're not, need- they're not eating enough fish. You know, we have a concern about the toxicity of fish in this day and time, even though the small fish are not as toxic, do not contain the PCBs and the dioxins and the mercury. Some people are very sensitive. So I would say that that supplementation is a very good thing from distilled, molecularly distilled sources, pure sources. I'm a believer in the EFAs from fish oil, from the krill, from squid oil that is now popular, as well as omega-3s from plant sources, which is where your flaxseed oil still comes into play that is a high lignin source which is so good to prevent against different types of cancers. So I'm definitely a believer, Kathy, when it comes to supplementation, bring on the supplements for the omega-3s as well as the omega-6s, 
which have been given the short shaft because we have so many altered and commercially processed omega-6s in the system and in the dietary selection these days. But there's some that are particularly important, which is where the unprocessed hemp seed oil comes into play, or sesame, or your walnuts, or sunflower seeds. So you need a balance, and if you're not getting it in your diet, then I think supplementation could be a very good thing. Uh, I was going to ask you about uh, the omega-6. You know, when you know when we're taught in school, we're we're told that the balance between the the three and the six is completely out of whack, and that's why you know most would not consider supplementing with the omega six. Is it different the omega six used in a food process than an a natural a natural omega six? Yes, I think I think you've hit the, the nail right on the head there, Kathy. So we're not talking about the altered commercial uh, oils that are in the forefront today. We're not talking about corn oil or canola oil or, or soybean oil, which are highly processed that are GMOs, genetically modified. I'm talking about unaltered, unheated, pure parent oils of the omega-6s, which is what you're getting in some of these seeds and nuts that I've spoken about, hemp being one of the best because it contains the ideal ratio of 6 to 3, which is 4 to 1 in favor of the 6s. So I have gone against the grain yet once again, but I know this will be proven correct, in telling people that you need more of the good omega-6s, not the, not the altered and commercially processed omega-6s, but those that you're finding in the raw, unprocessed, unheated oils that are perfect for vegetable oils and vegetable oil-based dressings. Where would you find, food-wise, an omega-6? Or is it usually, you know, are all these omegas in a whole food usually all part and parcel of a good whole food? Like, uh, we're talking about, uh, let's say, olive oil. Would you well, find a whole complement? Well, yeah, but olive oil is not a good source of the threes and sixes. It's not an essential oil. It is more like a monounsaturated oil for the omega-9. So that doesn't contain the threes and sixes, which doesn't mean to say it's not good in the system. It's a great cooking oil for moderate cooking, very tasty, of course, for some salads as well, but it's not a source of the essential fatty acids. So it's good as a complementary oil, but it is not an essential. I call it a healthy oil, certainly very good for the heart. Okay. Now, this new one that you talked about, omega-7, yeah. why, why is that new? How come, it's, how come it's new, and what differentiates that from the others? Well, the research came about about four years ago, as I recall, and it was first identified in anchovies, believe it or not. So it's another omega-7, which is also good for all of the other omega functions from with your cell membrane. It strengthens the cell membrane very good for uh, the mitochondria that feed the cell on, a, on an atomic level. But more importantly, it's good for collagen, and that's why I'm so excited about it. So eating more macadamia nuts, for example, which is another source of the omega-7, is very healing for collagen, which, again, is so much in the forefront today. So rather than take some of these powders and these bone broth powders that could be loaded with lead and heavy metals, let's get back to the macadamia nut oil. Well, that's very interesting. Now, just before we go to break, uh, I think I, I think I want to get into the importance of these fats for brain health because, again, we we're, we're swinging the pendulum and people are really cutting down on um, the carbohydrates and in favor of the fats. And I, I I want you to explain to people how within the brain structure, because it comes up an awful lot in questions here, the the fats work. You got it. 
Oh, you know, and we're not going to go to break right now. If you want to just go and grab that uh, uh, that piece of information and throw it out to us, that would be great. How the fats are good in brain health. Well, your brain is full of fat. Let's get right down to it and get very basic and practical. It's about 70% fat, so you have a fat head, and you want the good fats to stabilize the cell membrane, which protect the brain against uh, virus and bacteria, parasites that could be circulating, God forbid, in your system. So you need to really fortify the cell membrane, and we do it with these omega fats. This is where the the importance of the omega fats come into play. That's where your hemp seed oil or your fish oil or your krill oil or even your flaxseed oil come in handy. So it's omega-6s and to some degree omega-3s, which fortify that cell membrane so that you can get the nutrients in and the toxins out. You have to protect your system. So this is important not just for brain health, but all the cell membranes throughout your body. You want to protect and fortify your system because we're barraged in this day and age with toxins and environmental pollutants and nano-aluminum, glyphosates, you name it. We've got an ever-increasing load of environmental toxins, which means we have to become invisible, invisible or invincible, I should say, fortresses so that we can protect ourselves from the onslaught of the toxic invaders. I think that's a, it's an important point that I'm not sure that we've connected the dots to right here on the show is the importance of the cell structure for removing toxins. The healthier the cell, the rounder the cell, and it's very important. And this is a, a key piece of the puzzle and where fats are so important in the diet. We're just going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're really going to get into um, the the books that Anne Louise has done and we're going to talk about you know, some of the recipes that are in the Radical Metabolism book. It's, it's going to be a fun second half. We'll be right back.
You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Anne Louise Gittleman. Our subject is centering around fats. It's really an interesting conversation. Anne Louise, I think that a part and parcel of what we should be doing today on the show is talking about the metabolism of fats. So many people don't have a gallbladder, too. So can you speak to how fats are, are properly metabolized and then maybe go into when there is a pathology within the gallbladder and bile and, and all that fun stuff? <laughs> all that fun stuff. Well, basically, the gallbladder is not a throwaway organ. That's what's very important. That's what I make a, a big case for in radical metabolism. So if you do not have your gallbladder, so many women who are suffering from being fatigued, fat, and foggy are noting, then we need to give you some substitutes and some alternatives and support in that regard. So your, your gallbladder is important because it's the storage tank for bile. And why is bile so important? Because it helps with the digestion of fats. It, it basically provides this, I like to say, detergent-like effect, which then emulsifies fats so they dissolve in liquid and can be more easily absorbed. And without properly functioning bile, then you don't digest your fats, which we have just talked about that are so critical for the healthiest metabolism. So fats are important. Having your bile is important. Bile is not just a fat digestant uh, liquid, but it also flushes toxins and it increases thyroid function. So without bile, which is going to be timed with the use of your gallbladder, then you're not really utilizing the foods that you're eating to the proper way in which you need to use them. So I believe that bile is the, is the missing switch. It's the missing switch for um, reducing fat-promoting estrogen, which it also breaks down because it's a toxic waste dump. It slims you down because when you uh, release bile, it triggers an increase in the production of an enzyme that converts the inactive thyroid into an active thyroid hormone. So it's exceedingly important, and if you do not have your gallbladder, we want substitutes therein. And that's where my bitter foods come into play. My book talks a lot about how bitters will dial down cravings, will help to keep your appetite in check, and actually boost metabolism by over 53%. So bitters are very important for those that do not have a gallbladder or bile salts in the form of ox bile or some of the herbal remedies that I talk about in the book. But this will allow you finally to lose weight because this is a very simple fix. So not only will you, be, will you be breaking down fat, but you'll be melting down the proper way in which you utilize um, your hormones and you'll be detoxing. And, and this, I think, is a missing link that nobody talks about. To me, bile is important and should be as sexy as probiotics. When you talk about um, bitters, are you talking about the supplement bitters like the St. Francis bitters? Or are you talking about bitters within food? Both. You can, you can do both. We're talking about the bitter greens, and now we're, we're looking at uh, seasonal spring greens, the arugula, the endive, the dandelion, radicchio, watercress. They're, they're very important because these bitter flavors get your juices flowing by stimulating the release of bile. So this is very helpful for digestion. And if you do not like these bitter foods or these bitter greens, then you can get some sort of powdered greens or liquid greens 
or um, things of that nature in a good health food store. So either or is very important to get slimmed down and saying goodbye to winter fat and toxins. <laughs> uh, the, the bitters now, would you, you would consume them before your main meal? I consume them if you're taking it in a liquid or a tincture or a powder before the meal. And if you're just using regular foods, then, of course, with the meal. And that's where your seasonal bitters come into play with, with greens that you can make into a gigantic salad or increase bile-promoting bitters into your diet, like your Swiss chard. And even dandelion tea is a bitter, as well as chocolate, believe it or not, Kathy. And coffee is a major bitter, which I'm really pleased to introduce in my program. Tell us about, um, you've got an energy drink that has coffee part and parcel of it. Uh, Can you uh, invite us into that recipe? Yeah, it's what we have for breakfast every day because coffee is very high in a particular element known as chlorogenic acid, which is a fat burner. It's an antioxidant, which means that it's protecting against all these nasty free radicals, so it's very detoxifying. So it's one cup of coffee, and I promote a certain type of coffee, which is mold free, organic, in the book. So you got your one cup of coffee, and then you have a little bit of, um, what do we have, some coconut milk in there, as well as a scoop of protein powder, so you're getting your protein in there, as well as some fat-burning herbs and spices like cardamom, ginger, and cinnamon. So with all of that, if you need a little sweetener, I'm a big believer in a little bit of liquid stevia, or perhaps some monk fruit. So all of that goes into the drink, and voila, you're ready for four four hours of energy and fat-busting metabolism. Awesome. Now, do you drink this cold or hot? You can do it either or. (laughs) And, you know, with the summer months coming, you can make make it a nice drink, and it's very refreshing. It's kind of like a coffee-based smoothie, but very frothy, very delicious, and full of energy because... You've got the bitter that you need for your digestion in the form of the coffee and the energy that you need. And if you're not a coffee lover or drinker, then use another bitter, a bitter beverage, which means your dandelion root coffee would be a wonderful substitute. It, that I've you know I've never tried the dandelion. I I love my coffee, and I have you know I just have one every day. I've never tried the dandelion coffee. A lot of uh, uh, colleagues of mine have used it, but I believe too that that was on the backs of a lot of people thinking that coffee was not good for them. So um, I've not tried that, but I might I might incorporate that into into a drink and give that a shot. It sounds delightful. <laughs> sounds delightful. It, it's delightful, delicious, and easy, and it's very good for detoxification. So it's got everything going for it, and it gives you enough protein to keep your blood sugar stable. So it's very good for diabetics. Interesting. I want to go back to something, a question that's popped up into my mind. Um, you talked about uh, someone without a gallbladder and the issue of, of uh, metabolizing fats. Do you always recommend a digestive enzyme to people without a gallbladder? Is it always, always necessary? Always. Because you lose the ability to break down all kinds of fats, including the essential fats and including fats that are going to deliver your vitamin A, which is so important in terms of infection protection, your vitamin D for the immunity, vitamin K to protect your system against calcium buildup. So we have all these fat-soluble vitamins that are not going to be absorbed and assimilated properly without the breakdown of fats. So this would be a digestive enzyme that contains HCL, hydrochloric acid, as well as bile salts. And when people buy the book, Radical Metabolism, which you can purchase at RadicalMetabolism.com, they'll see that there is an actual 
I would say it's a supplement that I created called Bile Builder because I couldn't find anything on the market that I thought broke down fats as well as they should with all the new research that I did for the book. And so this particular supplement that you can even look at to get something similar if you so desire contains beetroot, which breaks down fat, as well as choline, which is so important, this choline, believe it or not, Kathy, for preventing and decongesting a fatty liver, which is so prevalent today. Yes, it is. Now, what are signs that you may not be metabolizing your fats well? Bloating is number one. Number two, a light-colored stool. So start looking, ladies and gentlemen, when you, when you eliminate. A light-colored stool shows a deficiency of bile salts. Uh, even some kinds of, I'd say, unresolved aches and pains along the gallbladder meridian, which could be around the ears, which could be around the sciatica nerve. Uh, you've got issues in that regard, as well as issues with uh, burping and uh, hiccuping. All of that could point to an issue with bile production. Interesting. Now, somebody asked me uh, a while back about floating stool. Is that also an indicator of... Uh unabsorbed fats? Yes, because it's very fatty and so it's absorbed, so it's floating. Yeah, so, so, so you don't want to have a fatty stool, you, wanna, you don't want to float, you want to kind of go in the middle or sink a little bit, you want sinkers, not floaters. And you also want to make sure that you're not burping or bloating after you eat a meal that's high in fat or that you're not getting nauseous or if you have a metallic-y taste in your mouth. Those are also clinical signs of inappropriate fat metabolism. Interesting. Okay. Uh, but to note, you do need fat in your diet, even if you don't have a gallbladder. I've run into people who have avoided fat because of this. So you can't negate the essential macro in your diet. But this you, book... Exactly. And, and your book really gives creative ways of helping people with this issue. Now, you've done a lot of myth-busting in this book. Can you take us through some of the biggies that, that you've, uh, you've busted? Well, we've talked about a couple of them. Number one, that the gallbladder is not a throwaway organ, <clears throat> so that would be number one. You need gallbladder support in the form of the bitters or the ox bile digestive enzyme. And then, of course, the fact that omega-6s are bad and should be avoided at all costs, it really depends upon the type of omega-6s. Omega-6s are your friend, not your enemy, and they've been... Uh, unfortunately demonized inappropriately in the diet, so we've got to look at the good omega-6s. And then the other one is that cast iron is good for you in terms of cooking. So I'm also presenting ways to detox your kitchen, and one of those ways is to make sure that you don't have excess iron, which so many North Americans do have. So you've got to throw away and cast away the cast iron because it's providing more iron for an already overloaded system and we're now learning that too much iron is connected to Alzheimer's, arthritis, and many kinds of degenerative and autoimmune diseases. So cast away the cast iron is another kind of myth and a kind of directive that we've put into radical metabolism. Wow, that can be a costly cast off. <laughs> what, what do you recommend cooking with? We like enameled-covered iron that doesn't leach into the food, or we might like glass, even a high-grade stainless steel that doesn't contain nickel or aluminum. Now, what do you think about three square meals a day? I'm a believer, my dear. I'm a believer in breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's what I like. And it could be light meals, but it should be three meals a day. For balancing blood sugar mainly? 
I think it's for balancing blood sugar. Yes, I would say that. I don't think people need as much snacking as they're, as they're utilizing because that will raise insulin levels. And as you say, insulin is becoming a real issue in this day and time. So I would say three main meals a day, maybe something mid, mid-afternoon, maybe at around 4 o'clock to kind of raise the blood sugar. And that's where you can have a piece of fruit and a few nuts or nut butters. Do you generally feel that we eat too much? Yeah. We all do. Why? Because food is a pleasure. Food is, food is reward. Food, food is a way to anesthetize ourselves. I think we all do. But if you follow my program and have the right kind of fats, you will be satisfied and satiated so that you cannot really crave or cannot even absorb or need more food. So there are ways of, of kind of modifying all of those issues just by taking the right fatty acids into the cellular membrane. Hmm. Now, you have uh, many books on the market. What possessed you to hanker down and write this book? It's not too long since your last published book, is it? Uh, let me see. Within, the, within a book writer's, you know, like for me, uh, all the books you've written is outstanding. I, I don't know how you, how you create so much material. Um, well, you know, I, I always say God felt sorry for me. He looked at me and he said, she, since she can't sew, she doesn't clean, she doesn't really like to cook. I mean, I'm not a good cook. I'm a creative person, you know, in my head. So he said, I'll make her very creative. So I have all this, this, this unbound creativity, which I've harnessed into books, but I'd say that this one was important because I see so many women that are hypothyroid that don't lose weight rapidly, that don't have a gallbladder and are known as slow losers and are over the age of 40. So this book is written especially for them. And it contains secrets that will work even better for those in their 30s and 40s. Fun. Now what are you working on next? A book called Radical Longevity. Wow. And when is that due? In a year or two. (laughs) In a year or two. How long does it take to go, you know, the process of writing? It fascinates me. Um, How long does it take you? to write a book? It's like making a baby. It's nine months. Nine months to write a book? For me, it's nine months because it's all this research that needs to be done. I need to correlate that, then make a program based upon new research, try it out on a uh, beta group, so to speak, and then get it ready for publication. So it's nine months. Yes, these are all my 35-plus children. That's amazing. You said something that that intrigues me. You said I'm you you don't what was it? You said you don't create you don't cook. Is that what you said? Or you don't I I'm not no, I'm I I don't have the nervous system for cooking. And and a lot of people, you know, will say how does she write all these cookbooks? I I'm very creative in my mind. I know it goes together and I love to eat. See, I don't like to cook, but I absolutely adore eating. Uh, but see, I know but but I know all the tricks of the trade to make foods very tasty and yet not gain weight. And that's really important. Because I think, you know, people get this, this idea in their head that um, everybody that does well in their health knows their way around a kitchen 150%. You know, sometimes it's just the simplest foods that you put together and you become creative in that way. And, and the kitchen shouldn't be a scary place. No, it shouldn't be. And there are very simple ways to cook that are healthy and will not make you fat or create aging processes. If you can just remember that you should be steaming, you should be poaching, making slow cooker recipes, low heat, low heat with a lot of water. All that's the healthiest way to cook. You shouldn't be doing a lot of grilling, roasting, and broiling unless you marinate your food first. That, to me, is the most important thing of all. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's such a, a great thing that you can offer recipes within this book. To I think people need those steps to try and implement what you're saying. And I think once you start diving into these things, you become familiar and you start your own creative process. So I encourage you to get this book, to to look at all the information, and to start with these recipes. They really are, you know, the first steps in in getting your health back in shape. Can you let us know your social sites and where we can get your book? Yes, indeed, my dear. Let's see. Social sites would be Facebook, Anne Louise Gittleman, AnneLouise.com. Come and visit me on my website. Um, And then the book is called, of course, Radical Metabolism, which is available online and everywhere where good books are sold. Wonderful. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Very informative talk. It's, as I said, it's a subject that we haven't uh, broached before. So thank you so much for enlightening us. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.